Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Good to see everybody here. Great to have the kids in here with us. You know, I was, I was uh, at a conference once and there were kids all over the place and there were people moving and everything and the speaker said, you know, this is what it felt like when Jesus taught. Like there were just families around and there were kids around and, and so I feel like this, is, this may be a little bit more of the way it felt when Jesus taught in the first century. So this is cool to have everybody here. And I, I, would like to, um, I would like to start by asking the kids, uh, before they tune out, kids, hey, are, you, is, are any kids expecting any particular gifts on Sunday morning? Does anybody have like a gift in mind that they're expecting? We have a couple. Do you want to share what that is? Just parent, you can listen. Okay, everybody. A hoverboard. Okay, so you're expecting the hoverboard. We'll see. Who, what, do you, what do you think? Yeah. Legos. Oh, yeah, classic. Anybody else have one? Yeah, you're expecting something? That, that a dragon. Okay, of some kind. That sounds awesome. Oh, way in the back. What are you expecting? Something? Pokemon related. Thank you very much. It's not only bright up here, but it's difficult to hear as well. Anybody else? Any other kids? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are you expecting? Oh, that's an important point. Like the batteries included. Don't, parents, like, don't, don't forget the batteries. I, re- I learned that early on. So, Of course, we're expecting the, the coming king. Uh, he is an unexpected king in so many different ways. Even though we're expecting his birth, we're celebrating him these four weeks. We're going to be together and we're going to talk about the unexpected king. But I want us to think about expectations. There's... Uh, I don't know if you've seen some of these, some of these uh, memes about expectations and the gap between expectations and reality, um, but I, I've been reflecting on this as I've been thinking about this message, and I've been trying to pay attention to how my expectations have been influencing my experience of things. I don't know if you've paid attention to that. Like, what we expect oftentimes will be the determining factor, or at least influence strongly, how we think about something, whether we like something, whether we're frustrated with something, it's our expectations going in that shape those experiences. So I just have a couple, a couple silly things to, for, as examples. So here's one, right? You expect that your, your skills in some way are going to be one thing, and then you try the thing, and you're like, oh, geez, this, I, this is, the reality is not meeting expectation. Like you have higher expectations of yourself. It might not be drawing. It might be something else. It might be some other skill, you know. Uh, just a little um, confession. I really love watching those um, reality talent shows. Like, it's so funny to me when the people who think they're really good get up there and the judges are like, yeah, you're, you're really bad. Like, you, like you, have, you, you, know, you, you should go try to find something else to do. That's just, that's, I'm just confessing that. I'm not proud of that. I love to see people fail. That's just something. So that, you know, that's, that's, a, that's one. Here's another one, you know, for those of us who were parents in the pandemic or like you had to learn or teach how I think remote learning will work on the left side. It's all just, you know, it's going to be great, you know? I was a parent, you know, we have kids in school and like in that moment that they said, hey, 
hey, kids, you're not going to have to come to school. You get to sleep in. You're going to do, do school it online. And, and they're like, oh, that, that might be pretty good. And then reality set in, and it was terrible. Now, it wasn't terrible for everybody. I'm sure some folks, you know, some folks learn that way. But for a lot of us, especially my wife's a teacher, I can, I can assure you, if you're a teacher, if you're involved in that process at all, reality did not meet expectation. Amen. Amen. Okay, and I have one more that I confess. I, I, we can go a lot of different directions with this, but I have it up there just because it's so funny. Um, you know, expectation on the left side. So here's some things that I thought. We could go a lot of directions. One is like, hey, look, my, my expectation on the left is the way that, like, uh, people see me. The way that I want people to see me is like this strong person, and, you know, I have it all together, and reality is that I'm, I'm a mess. You know, I'm just, you know... I don't have life figured out. I'm not strong. I'm weak a lot on the right side. Here's a positive spin on that. If you're relatively new to the church, like a lot of people come into churches, and especially churches if they're, if they're not used to it, and they come into church and they think, I need to be like the guy on the left side in order to be accepted here. You know, I need, I need to have it all together. I need to have things figured out. I need to like put on my best face and all that stuff. But reality is the kingdom of God is more like the right side. You come as you are. Just be you. You're accepted. You're welcome here. So there's a positive spin on that very silly picture. Um, so this is, the, this is the graph that you'll find if you Google this and you, and you, and you want to think about expectations, reality. There are a lot of people teaching this, by the way. I just spent like two minutes like Googling this and like there are a ton of these graphs out there and maybe you had it in your place of business or you talked about this. But the idea is this. There's a gap between expectations and reality oftentimes and we live in the gap. Like we experience experience the gap. Like if the gap is really far, we experience that, right? Especially if expectations are way up here and reality is way down here, that feels frustrating. We might even get angry, right? We experience that. Our expectations really do influence our experience of life. You know, we've had, I've had a little fun with this, but this can get, this can get important, right? Uh, we've done uh, premarital counseling with folks, and, and expectations going into marriage are really important to address. Amen? Like, it's really important to have healthy expectations of marriage itself, healthy expectations of your spouse, because if you don't, problems happen. That's important. Expect, this can be really important. You know, it can be really, it can be life-changing, too. For me, a really tragic example of that is my, my dad passed away early of cancer, and I expected him to, to live forever. He was healthy, and he was strong, and he was an athlete, and, and, and got cancer, and passed away at 59. And so my expectation and reality, the gap there, it was very sad for me. Does that make sense? Like if I expected, if like if our life expectancy in this country or my family was 59 and he passed at 59, that would have been a different experience. That's what I'm saying. Does that make sense? That gap really does affect us. So here's, here's where we're going with this series. Do we live in the gap with regard to our faith? When we think about expectations of God and the reality you experience, does that affect us? I think it does. Of course, this can be flipped too. Oftentimes, our expectations of God are way too low. And 
he rises far above them. The reality is way higher than our expectations. And so for me, I, I flip this on its side. Just say, this is kind of, this is how I want to think about it. And sometimes our expectations move us off to the left and reality is off to the right. And so in this series, we're going to spend four weeks together thinking about expectations that we have of God, Jesus, because we want to be people whose expectations and the reality are, are really close. Like, what, what can God do? Let's expect God to do that. Who is Jesus? Let's, let's expect him to be him. Who, who is that? Sometimes our expectations are too high. Sometimes our expectations are too low. I think it's more like sometimes our expectations are just a little bit off of Jesus. And in fact, when it comes to our faith, if you look at the first century, a lot of people missed Jesus because their expectations were over here and Jesus was over here. A lot of good people. His arrival that we're talking about today was unexpected. And a lot of people missed him because they didn't expect his arrival to be as it was. So let's look at that together. A lot of very faithful people were waiting for the Messiah in the first century. They were praying for the Messiah. The Messiah was God's king who would come to earth and he would like, he would set everything right, right? God's people would be set free to worship God and he would probably rebuild the temple and, you know, God's people would be God's people on earth and the king Messiah would rule over. And this is why, because you have passages like Isaiah 9, right? This is, this is one passage, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, for, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, listen to this language, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So if we had time and we just kind of ruminated in this passage and you closed your eyes and you said, okay, what's this king going to be like? Just from that prophecy, you'd have a picture in your mind. What, what's this king going to be like when he comes? You'd have, you'd have an expectation, and, and rightly so, of grand, of majestic, of powerful. His throne is going to be eternal, right? Everybody, everybody gets the, the, the King David reference, you know, the, the David who killed Goliath, you know that story, but also the David who became the greatest king in Israel's history. This Messiah was going to sit on that throne, and he was going to reign forever and ever. Do you have a picture in your mind? They did. And so when the angel comes to Mary, in Luke 1 we read, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be what? Great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of who? His father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Here's the Messiah, right? The angel tells Mary, this is the prophesied Messiah is coming. David reference, great kingdom forever. He's coming, he told Mary. So why did so many people who knew the prophecy prayed for Jesus, 
pray for the Messiah, excuse me, miss him. Let's look. I'm going to leave that passage up there and, and read these, this birth narrative to you. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, this is Luke chapter 2, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered to Mary, uh, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. So you get the scene, you know the story. Joseph and Mary, Mary's riding on a donkey, she's pregnant, and they try to uh, find a place to stay. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now let me read this grand account of the coming king again, the Messiah, the eternal ruler, okay? She gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the inn. Swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger. That's it. That's the whole thing. I'm reading it. The whole account. You know, when our firstborn was, uh, was born, uh, uh, some of you are here in, in the spring when Sarah shared that we spent uh, four years of inf- had four years of infertility and experienced that. And so we, uh, we, were, we had been expecting this day for a long time. And I didn't know how I was going to react. And, you know, this was firstborn, you know, this, this is the first child. And I knew it was going to be huge, like monumentally important. And I didn't know how I was going to react. And so I won't go through all the details of the birth for you. But she was there, and uh, Anna was born. And here's what I did. <laughs> Everything froze. My body froze. I stopped breathing. You know, in those, you know in movies where like they turn off the sound, like you have the perspective of the person and like the sound just goes off and like everything goes in slow motion and like you're just like, what is happening right now? That's, that's what I experienced. I froze and I remember the first thing I heard was, <laughs> the first thing I heard was the nurse and I remember she was over here and Sarah was here and, and the nurse looks at me and she goes, Dad, I'd never been called that before. I'm like, who's she talking to? Dad. And I look at her, oh, she's talking to me. She says, do you want to, do you want to come meet your daughter? You want to take a picture? Uh, okay. And I walked over and I took a picture. That was one experience. The other, the other side of that experience was I wanted to look at the people in the room. You know, the nurses, the doctors, and I want to look at them and say, your response is totally inappropriate in this moment. You don't understand. This was four years of waiting. This is our daughter. This is our firstborn. I'm now a dad. Do you understand that? You don't understand, do you? Why are you just going about your business like this is an everyday occurrence for you? (laughs) That was the other experience that I had. Your response is totally inappropriate. You don't understand how big this is, how important this is. That's what I wanted to say. Luke's account of the birth seems totally inappropriate to me for the Messiah. 
Now, some of you are saying, well, wait a second, Chris, keep reading. Keep reading. The angels show up, right? Okay, I'll, I'll keep reading. <clears throat> in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord, sh- okay, here we go. We got angels showing up. We got the glory of the Lord showing around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. An angelic chorus is going to break out into the heavens, is going to sing so that everybody on earth knows that the Messiah was just born, and the throne, and and the thunder is going to come, and a pillar of fire, and this will be a sign for you. That's not what it says, does it? You guys know this? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See why people missed him? They were expecting that. Maybe not literally, but you know. And they got that. Max Lucado has always communicated in a way that stirs my imagination. Here's how he explains this. It is doubtful that anyone mentioned the couple's arrival or wondered about the condition of the girl. They were too busy. The day was upon them. The day's bread had to be made. The morning's chores had to be done. There was too much to do to imagine that the impossible had occurred. God had entered the world as a baby. Yet were someone a chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a peculiar scene they would behold. The stable stinks like all stables do. The ground is hard, the hay scarce, cobwebs cling to the ceiling, and a mouse scurries across the floor. A more lowly place of birth could not exist. Say that again. A more lowly place of birth could not exist. He goes on to say, Majesty in the midst of the mundane, holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat, divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager in the presence of a carpenter. This baby had overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen, and worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. Those who missed his majesty's arrival that night missed it not because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it because they simply weren't looking. This was no mistake. Like, this wasn't God's plan B. Like, Jesus was born in a way, in a place on purpose to communicate really important things about him so that we could know him and live with him and walk with him. And that's, I'm going to suggest two things today that we could learn. People missed Jesus because their expectations were over here and reality was over here. 
about the coming king and what he would be like. So just two things I want to suggest for us to think about. And one is, the people weren't expecting this Messiah King to humble himself so far. I mean, think about it. This was going to be the king. This was going to be the one who would overthrow the Roman government, and he was going to set up the temple again, and people were going to worship God. He was going to be powerful. He was going to be exalted. He was going to be above everybody. Their Messiah wasn't going to come and be below everybody. Humble was not in that list of things that I read to you as the characteristics of the coming king. That's one of the reasons why they missed him, because of his humility. He was willing to humiliate himself all the way down. And you see this throughout his life, right? So I have a, I have a, a rendering of a really famous sculpture. You guys seen that before? Jesus is, is kneeling down. And this is, who, who is this? Anybody know who that is? Do you know who that is? I think I heard it. It's Peter, right? And so this is when Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, and he's teaching them something important, and he takes off his outer robe, and he takes the form of a servant, and he kneels down and does the work of a servant, washing the feet of the disciples, which is what the servants, the lowly servants did, right? They have no rights. That's just what they do. They're trying to survive. That's how they survive. They serve other people by washing their feet. In those days, they wore sandals, you know. And so Jesus takes the form of a servant, and he, he does the work of a servant, and Peter's like, what are you doing? The Messiah does not do the work of a servant. Stand up. He didn't get it. And I can just imagine Jesus. You know, he knows who he is. He knows where he came from. He's like, Peter, you think kneeling down is humiliating? You think that's humiliating? You think that's a humble act? That's not a humble act. Coming from a throne of glory to a cradle in the dirt, that's a humble act. That's humiliating. Jesus lived that. And so serving others, was just that's just who he was. He was humble. And we see that over and over again in the Scriptures. And so here's my first question for us. Do you expect Jesus to humble himself for you? Are there things that you think, oh, that's below Jesus, <laughs> you know? I'm not going to ask that of him. Or maybe you think, maybe I'm below. Maybe, maybe Jesus can't be bothered to you know, help me. This unexpected birth, the unexpected arrival, one of the important lessons that, that God wanted to communicate is He is willing to go any length and stoop any distance for us. And of course, we know this, the rest of the story that that was shown most clearly in the cross of him humbling himself. 
to die on a cross for us. So that's my first question. Here's the other thought. Not only is Jesus humble, but the circumstances of his arrival communicate that Jesus is in the mundane. So that's my other question for you. Do you expect Jesus to be in the mundane? He literally was born in an insignificant, mundane place. Could have been born anywhere, right? Like God knows what he's doing. And this is his Messiah. Could have been born in a very prominent place. This was a back room that no dignitary had ever stayed there. Trust me. Like this is not where people who have money and means and influence and power, they don't, they don't go and stay there. They're not in the stable. This is, this is where he was born. In this insignificant, small town, literally in the back, with the animals. I love uh, Mother Teresa's ministry. I don't know if you've ever read much about her, um, but Mother Teresa really took this to heart. Um, she she uh, dedicated her life to going into the dirty places of Calcutta, like literally and figuratively the dirty places. And I don't know if you know about this, but in Calcutta there's, there's just massive numbers of people who are, are sick and homeless and they just, they're just on the streets and they're literally just, they're going to end their lives there. That's, that's their hope. It's like right there. They're hopeless, is what I'm saying. And she decided that that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go into the dirty places. I'm going to go to the people who have nothing and can't do anything for themselves. They're literally sitting there dying and I'm going to go and I'm going to minister to them and I'm going to give them dignity because God believes they are significant. She believed that Jesus was there in the dirt, in the mundane, with the insignificant. And so we see this. You remember the story? Jesus tells a story later to his disciples, and he says there was a king who came, and he said to the people on his right, he said, inherit the kingdom that is, that is for you. Because when I was thirsty, you gave me a, a water to drink. And they looked at him and they were like, what are you talking about? When did we give you water to drink? And Jesus said, here's, here's the deal. Every time, every time you gave a cup of cold water to someone who was thirsty, you were doing it for me. Think about that. Jesus in the mundane, the everydayness of life, the little things, the insignificant. This is the other lesson that I think God has for us in this story. I mean, just think of the, all of the mundane things you do in your life. Really, the insignificant, the boring, the things nobody notices. Those things are not too small for Jesus. They just aren't. Jesus is in the mundane things of life. And that's the other thing that this passage shows us. So 
So I have three what-ifs for us to consider as we finish. What if we expected Jesus to humble himself? How would that affect, how would that impact our prayer life? What if we believe that Jesus wanted to humble himself for us? How would that impact how you interact with him, what you ask of him? Because I think Jesus is looking at us, and we go to him with our needs, and he says, no problem. Believe me, this is, this is no problem. Uh, like, there's n- I-, I can't get too low. There's nothing that's below me, nothing. So just let, that, let your imagination go on that. How about the second one? What if we expected Jesus in the mundane? You know, a lot of people tend to think of Jesus as being someone who shows up in church or, you know, is present when we're praying or doing religious things, you know? I think this story tells us that, like, Jesus is in when I'm getting ready for work in the morning, when I'm helping my kids, when I'm making dinner. You know, Martin Luther, the the great reformer, I won't get into it, but just Google it. Martin Luther changing diapers. He has a whole thing about the glory of a father changing diapers because he was trying to communicate that Jesus is in the mundane things of life. People didn't believe that. They thought Jesus was in the religious and spiritual things. So what if we believe we expected Jesus in the mundane? How would that transform your everyday experience of him in life? And what if we follow Jesus' example of being the kind of people who humbled ourselves and did the mundane, insignificant services for others? Nothing was below Jesus. What if that could be said of us? Nothing's below us. It's your workplace, in your family, at school. There's no task that's below me, right? Might that, might that have an impact on the people around you at your work or in your family, in your school? There's no task below me. And, and what if we were people who said, there's no task that's too insignificant, too mundane. I'm, I'm willing to do it. Because we knew that no person is too low and no person is insignificant. So we follow Jesus' example into the dirt to serve others with humility and love.